Hi, this is uh, Mike Edelhart. Hi, Steve Brown. Great to be here with another uh, edition of Inception, our podcast about beginnings, the beginnings of careers, of companies, uh, new science, and sometimes even a little bit of a peek into the future. And today I'm here with Tigran Slayan of CodeSignal. Thanks, Mike. Excited to be here to talk about Inception Moments. Absolutely. I, you know, I, we were just talking before this started. I think if we weren't your first investor, we were certainly among. One of the very, very first. first. Definitely one of those Inception Moments. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that might be as good a place to start. So we invested in a company called Code Fights. Mm -hmm. It is no longer it a company no called Code, Code Fights. It's called Code Signal, and a lot of things have changed. So talk about that some. So what were you doing then? What are you doing now? Absolutely. When did you change? Why did you change? Uh, what was the uh, impulsion for the pivot? Absolutely. Uh, I think when we first met, it was like, 2015 it was the early 2015 probably like january maybe late january right. uh i still remember the spot because it was one of like the early investor meetings uh i still had a full-time job i was working somewhere else right. it was i think on the the townsend street like the creamery i right. think we met in that yep. cafeteria i think that before you moved to these offices that exactly. was our go-to place exactly yeah the creamery was the go-to place and i hear a lot of you know, investor conversations and deals were closed in that place in general. It's, it's known in the Valley. There was actually one day, uh, not particularly relevant to what we're talking about today, but there was one day when three of us from mm -hmm. my fund were mm -hmm. in the creamery at the same time, the and same we didn't time. know it. I mean, we just turned up and said, like, what are you doing here? It's like, I got a meeting. So do I. So does she. It's like every table was us. Nice. It was, nice. Yeah. That's really awesome. Yeah, I don't know why that place is so popular, but I guess it's right in the middle of Soma where a lot of startups are. Yeah, and it's walking distance from the train that comes up from Silicon Valley and stuff like that. Exactly, yeah. So that's got to be it. So there we were at the creamery. There we were at the creamery, and I was pitching you on the idea of Codefice, which at the time was like educational solution for developers. There was a hint of like this one day is going to go into HR tech, is going to go into recruiting, because that's like a natural extension to where uh, like a developer educational focused product would go. But I would say, like from the very beginning, the the reason I got into this space overall was the belief that, you know, intelligence is very very equally distributed across the world, except access is not access to great resources, access to motivation, access to opportunities to show what you can do and to reach a certain level, is not equally distributed. So. That was our first iteration of like, let's create a gamified application where developers could practice, where they could learn, they could get better, as well as demonstrate their ability, right. thus helping them kind of discover and develop them, right? right. Uh, and that's literally what it was at that right. point, right? It was, right. I challenge you to a code fight. Exactly. And two developers are going at it, exactly. trying to solve a code problem and show each other up. Exactly. And like, you know, in, in those early products, there's so much of the the personality of the founder being reflected because I, my background, I used to do boxing in high school for like four or five years. So the whole concept of like, mixing and boxing with coding. And I used to be sort of a Olympiad nerd doing a lot of competitive problem solving and things like that. So like it was a combination of the two. Uh, and it was fun. I think like initially when we were first starting out, it, it, it was a very novel concept and it got a lot of traction and adoption. And 
uh, you were one of the few people that saw potential, I guess, in me and in the company. And and yeah, in you for sure, and in the idea because we, well, I'm a nerd of a different era, and right. uh, you know, techies don't like to be sucked up to. Techies don't like to be recruited in the right. traditional sense, and. What struck me when we first met is that you were very much of the community. You got it. You are mm -hmm. that crowd. And uh, that this is something I thought that really strong coders would have a hard time resisting. You right. challenging me? Right. You Really? Right. And, 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 and I could see how they would express a lot of different things, their style, their connections, a lot of things that would be valuable without really thinking about it. Yeah, absolutely. And over time, I think we sort of kept that initial vision of like making, uh, making things more accessible, leveling the playing field, and providing up access and opportunity to everybody. But the model, including the name of the company, including a lot of the just overlay of the product has changed. The core of the product surprisingly has stayed and the core of the product being the engine that directly evaluates skill. Because at the very, very core of even enabling that game to be possible was that you have to be able to directly measure skill. You can't look at the resume. It's not like a resume fight. It's actually like you do the job and then we evaluate automatically how correct or incorrect it is. And we determine who's got better skill. So that core engine hasn't changed. I mean, it has improved a lot, but that's still the engine that runs code signal to this date. What has changed is kind of the packaging and the maturity of the product as we moved more and more towards the HR tech space as we became more and more uh, focused on like helping a wider variety of developers, maybe not just the ones who are kind of super competitive or want to be challenged into a fight because that model works and it worked pretty well in the beginning, but it only works in a certain demographic and a certain, of certain areas. Uh, but the goal, of course, was to change this globally. Uh, so gradually the company became more and more focused on HR tech, helping uh, other companies go beyond resumes and technical hiring. And of course, as an HR tech company, we at some point realized that we're no longer a game. Uh, so the name Codefights, which was very much of a gaming company's name <laughs> right. no longer made sense whereas a signal being that like you can directly measure someone's ability through their code that is extract their signal about their skill from their code became code signal got it so today not code fights as code signal uh who's the customer and what is the experience if it's not uh gladiatorial coding. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> We're still kind of uh, running away from the shadow of the shadows of the gladiatorial <laughs> coding because again there is a even though I still find that aspect of it fun, it also has a lot of negative connotations and biases. Uh, for example, like uh, women tend to be less into sort of the gladiatorial fighting than men used to be. And I think the perception as something as like a code fights was not really what we aimed for. It was more of like a coincidence. Uh, today, product is an automated assessment solution and really the only automated assessment solution, technical assessment solution, that's helping companies go beyond resumes. And what I mean by going beyond resumes is putting an assessment before a resume review, right? Because there are a lot of assessment solutions out there, but the way they get used is first you do a resume screen And then you say, okay, out of the 5% that are left out of the, you know, 1,000 people that I got, cut out like, you know, 900 and 950. Now, this 50 are going to get an assessment. But that's not what an assessment solution is meant to do. 
the reason we got into this business was an assessment solution to truly help you go beyond resumes and find the hidden gems in the 950, you know, bad looking resumes that you ended up rejecting because education is truly changing and democratizing and there is amazing talent everywhere, not just those that are coming out of top schools and top companies. And we've worked really hard to make sure that we've built an assessment solution that can be used at mass at the very, very beginning of the funnel to really help level the playing field. Got it. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, the example from football that gets brought up a lot, Jerry Rice, right? Right. What is it? Southern Mississippi State or whatever uh, school nobody's ever heard of. Yeah. Didn't make a big noise in college, comes out of a nowhere school and becomes the greatest wide receiver in football history. Right. And I mean, this belief that this is true is not just kind of, it is in many ways grounded in my like personal experience in my life overall, but there is a lot of scientific ground to also believe that, you know, ability, it's not something that like universities or companies create. It's just practice, right? Anybody with reasonable IQ, like a reasonable level of IQ and enough practice and, you know, effort going into it can become amazingly skilled at pretty much anything, right? Like, you know, maybe in sports, physical abilities could be a factor, right? Not just your IQ. But when it comes to like white collar work, you know, you really, as long as you are a healthy individual with enough practice, you can become amazing. And that practice does not have to happen at like well-known places like MITs or Stanford's. It can happen anywhere. And the more education becomes democratized, the more it is happening everywhere. And one thing that's holding it back is that I need to know that if I put in hours and hours, it's not easy, it's hours and hours, some say 10,000 hours, some say it's even more than that. But if I'm going to put all that effort into it, I need to know that it's going to be appreciated. It's not going to be like I put all this effort in, but it's not reflected on my resume. So no one is actually going to pay attention. Mm -hmm. So like, I think that's one of the biggest hurdles that's preventing even more people to be motivated to like go the distance and actually achieve the level of skill instead of, you know, being stuck with, all right, well, maybe I should just go bribe some authorities and get into university because that's what matters. Right. And the only thing that matters. Right. Right. Unfortunately. Right. But like if that was to change, I think, you know, you would see a boom in self-taught, highly skilled individuals who will change the world instead of, you know, us thinking that if I go to a top university, then that's going to make the whole difference. Yeah. If I don't, then basically done. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, you know, we're uh, as a fund kind of nerdy and we analyze everything. And one of the things we analyzed was every bit of information we could get on every single company that went through Y Combinator. And we were looking at everything mm-hmm. like that. Uh, did you go to Stanford? Did you go to Harvard? Were right. you one of the big five uh tech companies, all of these different factors, and none of them correlated to success. It didn't matter whether you had any of those markers on your resume or not as to whether you were one of the most successful YC companies or not. The only one that really stood out was previous success. If you were really good at this, Mm -hmm. you were really good at it before, YC helped you, you were really good at it now, and you'll probably be really good at it next time if you still have the fire in your belly. Uh, but those badges are essentially beside the point. There's nothing wrong with Stanford, but it isn't in and of itself uh, a a demarcation of anything in particular. Absolutely. And I mean, there is a lot of economic research around, is it just a selection bias? Because even if you think about it, the top universities, 
select the type of high school students, right? So obviously, if you take the cream of the crop and then you process them through like four years of whatever, let's say you just took that admission class and they didn't go to college to that specific place, would their career end up being any different, right? right? Did that actually have a causal effect on the outcome yeah. or was it just the selection bias? Yeah, that's it, a great question. If you took the children of the moneyed elite right. <laughs> and you simply set them loose, right. would they remain the children of the moneyed elite and therefore wind up in advantageous positions or right. is Harvard simply a way station where you get four years right. to sort of you know hang out a little bit and then you go on to become who inevitably right. you were going to be anyway? Yeah. One thing that does actually give an advantage in colleges that you cannot ignore at all, like top colleges, is the network. Yeah. Like I've seen, you know, people from, you know, 20 years ago class, Harvard class, like they all know each other. They're all connected to each other. They all kind of form this closed knit network that has helped right. them grow. Because as much as your individual skills matter a lot, your network also makes a difference, Right. which is another thing to solve for. I think after right. we figure out how to help people and companies go beyond resumes and be more sort of a, have an equal playing ground, next one is like, how do you help people build a network that's going to help them succeed? And uh, not just sort of, if you go to this elite kind of organization, yeah. then you end up with this favorable network. If you don't, you don't. Yeah, I think that's uh, a great aspiration. So you mentioned a minute ago your personal story. And your personal story is an interesting one. <laughs> I mean, you're not like a guy from Silicon Valley. who. Uh, so let's talk about that a little because you're really literally kind of from nowhere. I mean, Armenia, uh, I'm not sure many people listening or looking at this are right. even going to be sure where Armenia right. is. Even uh, if they know, they probably know Kardashians. That's why they know uh, Armenia. Probably. Otherwise, they probably haven't even heard of it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I never really thought about that. Yet. Um, so uh, how'd you get from Armenia here? Sure, sure. And that story actually heavily influences the direction and, the, you know, my beliefs in the, in the future of the industry. So, as you said, I grew up in Armenia, not just any time in Armenia. I grew up in Armenia where it had just come out of the Soviet Union. So when Soviet Union broke up in the early 90s, I was a kid, a little kid. And when that Soviet Union broke up, a lot of these little countries found themselves in the middle of nowhere without their own ability to sustain, uh, without their own infrastructure. They never had a country on their own. They never had to worry about, like, where do we get electricity? Where do we get food? So... I grew up in this environment where even, you know, being warm at night was like a luxury. Uh, most of the source of heat was like from chopped wood from nearby parks and electricity was almost non-existent. So it was mostly like homeworks and candlelight. Yeah. Uh, but what happened was that like me and my co-founder, we both had parents who were, and he is from Armenia as well. Like that's kind of, we... That was the route we got introduced, right? We had parents who really valued education. So both of us went through this period where, like, our parents were like, I, we know you don't have access to a lot of this stuff, but, like, they prioritized it enough for us that from a young age we started really practicing specific skills. In my case, it was math. In his case, it was programming. So eventually I got, like, really, really good at math, and I went to, like, a lot of international math Olympiads and won a lot of medals, and I was basically the number one math nerd in the country, and he was the number one coding nerd in the country. Uh, what happened after that is very interesting because I ended up just randomly applying to MIT because a friend I met at those international competitions told me that, like, 
I was like, what are you doing for school? He was like, I'm going to MIT. I literally asked him what is MIT because I had yeah. never heard of it. And he said, just go to MIT.edu. And I did. And I applied and I got in full scholarship and moved all the way from Armenia to MIT. Whereas in his case, he never had that random moment where he asked yeah. someone or applied and was pretty happy kind of staying close with, to his family and everything. But like he was a genius programmer, I almost didn't know how to code, right? And what happened in the next four years is he went to a local school in Armenia and I went to MIT and at some point we're like, well, if I'm gonna get employed, I need the CS degree because everybody was just looking for CS majors, right? So I still ended up majoring in CS, I was a distant coder, but like nowhere close to him. And when we got first sort of introduced, even though we've heard of each other, but have never met, but like at the early inception days of the company and the idea when we got first introduced, what I had learned is that like, even though he was a hundred times better developer than I was, because he went to unknown school and went to in and out, stayed in an unknown place, like the best kind of opportunity he could find was like a freelancer job, like paid 20 bucks an hour. Whereas with my CS degree from MIT, I was being hunted by every company in the country. And that just off balance, right? That just showed me how like off the world is and how on its head it is and how it needs fixing. And we've been on a journey for the past four to seven years to, to fix that. Got it. Now, one of our conversations a while ago, so mm. I'm not sure if this is still as top of mind as it was then, some months back. Mm -hmm. You had an aspiration to uh, faithfully rank every coder on the planet, mm -hmm. that who ranks well or not so well against everybody else on everything so that it's literally a universal, true, yep. fair yep. market. Yeah. Still the goal? Still the goal. Uh, and it's not as much of a ranking, it's more of a scoring. So because it's more like a credit score and less like a absolute ranking because an absolute ranking, this is a very diverse field. There's a lot of variations. It's not linear, so you can't really just rank everybody. But you could create a standardized system in which, just like with credit score, right? Today, when you go apply for a loan, the first thing they look at is your credit score. And if you've got a high credit score, it doesn't matter if you're coming from nowhere, right? Don't have a pedigree or whatever, right? You will still have a pretty good chance of getting a loan. It wasn't that way 60 to 70 years ago. When the FICO credit score didn't exist, it was just like the recruiting industry today, where, you know, who were your parents? Where did you go to school? Like all of those very, you know, the proxies, the non-reliable proxies that bias against certain demographics were all in place. So getting a loan was about going to an interview, hoping the interviewer likes you, hoping the interviewer likes your background. And then if they did, you got a loan. If they didn't, you didn't. And the introduction of something a lot more objective, something a lot more quantifiable, made it a field that's so much better. It still has a lot of has a lot of room for improvement because, in some sense, the credit score is still a proxy. It's not a direct measurement ability to repay a loan, but it's much better than your background. So I believe the future of the resume is going to be that kind of like a credit score on a credit report style model where it's way more objective than what it is today because what it is today is you just look at what companies you've worked at, what school you went to. That's essentially your resume and a collection of keywords. And it's incredibly unfair to so many people. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I guess the one question I'd have about the credit score, so going back and 
some of my history. I cut my teeth testing all these products during the PC era. Right. When nobody knew what PC products were. And we came to the conclusion of, to get folks confident. Mm -hmm. We had to do what at first we thought were two things. Find all the products. So sure. all the word processors, all the spreadsheets. And test absolutely everything they could do. Mm -hmm. So that we could come up with a report based on fact. Yeah. On every single attribute. Here's what these products did. Right relative to every other product. Right. And then we'd say, and based on all that, here's what we think, one, two, three. Mm -hmm. uh, what we actually found was interesting was there was another step we had to take to really increase confidence, which was sort of like uh, some of the research firms do now, is here's the raw data, mm -hmm. you can reweight. Mm -hmm. So here's our choice based on our sense of what matters most. Sure. But you may be a bank or you may be an art dealership and have radically different. Sure a sense of what's more important, and we will let you sure. filter it. What about here, saying Because a lot of different kinds of situations that involve code and programming now, movie studio on one hand, right. uh, the NSA uh, on the other, uh, uh, would this be the kind of thing you think where there might be, here's what we think, here's how we got there, reweight as you need? Yeah, uh, that's a great question because you're right. At the end of the day, hiring and recruiting, it's more of a matching problem, right? So like at the end of the day, like what is a good match for me? What is not? But at least in software engineering, right? It's not as varied as you might think. You can actually split it into enough of discrete chunks in the sense that there is like, you know, JavaScript engineers, there's Python engineers, there's front-end, there's back-end, there's DevOps, there's, there's like, it's a limited set of variations where you could actually build a standardized score that could be a great initial indication of ability. Next level from that would be matching in the sense that if you could do the same for the job, right? Because this is measuring one side right. and trying to quantify one side. If you could do the same for the job, right, by maybe analyzing, putting some sort of direct analyzers of what do people in this job do today, do, yeah. right? And if you could quantify that as well, then you can start talking about like an Uber style matching problem where mm -hmm. what does an Uber do by knowing where you are, where are you going, how much are you willing to pay? And where are my drivers? Right. What's the traffic? And when can I come pick you up? They do almost like 100% match. Uh, I think you could achieve that level of matchmaking in, in recruiting, but you have to start somewhere. And I think the midway checkpoint to that is measuring talent and quantifying it and making it taking a leap from just kind of keyboard and resume-based hiring towards a more standardized skills-based report. Got it. So you as a person and the company five years from now, mm -hmm. what's Code signal, is it still code signal? Is it code everybody? Uh, and uh, where are you and what are you? Yes, uh, five years from now, we have helped all, at least large, but also hopefully the smaller companies because the smaller companies always follow the lead of the large companies. We've helped all companies hiring for developers go beyond resumes and truly start to trust the universal standard around ability, around scale when it comes to software engineering. And we've really leveled the playing field around how people uh, get measured and get recruited in these jobs. And we've started to expand into other areas because the ultimate goal is not go beyond resumes in technical hiring. The ultimate goal is to let's go beyond resumes. And I think one at a time, probably the, it would, 
the business and the market would influence where we go next. But the ultimate vision is to go from code signal to everything signal and to be able to build this flight simulator-like system which can directly measure ability and then build standardization around that to truly get to a data-driven resume. Got it. Can't wait to see. It's a great example for us of something we talk to uh, all of our companies and prospective uh, investments about, which is let the market teach you yeah. uh, what it is it wants from you and become the company it needs. Uh, you had a great idea to start with, and we honor you a lot for recognizing that it was great but limited. And then there's a bigger idea, and now there's a bigger idea, and who knows, there may be Absolutely. yet another bigger idea beyond uh, that. That's part of what makes the journey so much fun. It's an evolution. I always say a journey of a company is an evolution, and you have to let it evolve. If you try to hold on to things that you thought were right and then you understand aren't, you're just going to break the company before you know it. The world is smarter than you are. Right. Great to uh, see you. Great to have a chance to talk, as always. Likewise, Keep on right. doing what you're doing. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, and the biggest fun is yet to come.